0: Welcome to the Organizing Ideas Podcast. I'm Karen.
1: And I'm Allison. We're two new librarians and your hosts for this podcast. Together, we're taking a closer look at the relationships
0: between organizing information and community organizing. We are recording today on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples.
1: Today, our guest is our friend and classmate, Victoria Gomez. She is a Master's of Library and Information Studies student at the University of British Columbia and is frequently involved in student government. Her interests include community and multicultural services. Okay, why don't we start with some introductions. Victoria, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself, who you are? Yes, I would love to. Uh,
2: My name is Victoria. Like you said, I'm an MLIS student at the iSchool at UBC. I'm entering my final year. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm Vancouver, born and raised. And so this is my home on these territories. And uh, I'm also the co-president of the Library and Archives Studies Students Association. I forgot the acronym. LASA. Lesson. Yeah. it's easier to say. Allison and I had talked last time
0: about like why we went to library school. So, yeah, why why did you choose to be a librarian?
2: Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I don't. I'm always really hesitant to answer this question because I just sound like every other person, which is I love books. <laughs> uh, I read them as a kid, and uh, so obviously it was it was an option. I have an aunt who's a librarian, actually. She's a library tech. Um, so she you know served as a role model for me but really the reason I started going into it is because I'm always interested in um, serving people and learning about different communities which uh, I started my bachelor's in linguistics and thinking that I still wanted to go into libraries but linguistics gave me a healthy appreciation for different people's languages and librarianship continues to be a good way to meld my two interests of language and people uh... in a very interesting way and in a way that makes me feel good which is always a bonus
1: <laughs> yeah. that's super cool i didn't actually know a lot of that stuff hmm. Yeah. yeah.
2: I'm a, I'm a cunning linguist.
1: You know, also, I think people often in library school say that you shouldn't be a librarian just because you love books, but since I've started working at public libraries on the desk, loving books is a really big part of the job, because although mm-hmm. libraries do much more than books, um, it is often what people come in expecting to be able to talk to somebody about.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're the people that you're serving love books, it's probably helpful if you also love books.
1: Yeah, totally. <laughs> Do you want to tell us a bit about uh, student government and how you got involved in that and, um, yeah, yeah, what that looks like for you? Because I know that being the co-president of Lassa is not your first foray. Victoria does a lot of stuff,
2: like <laughs> UBC writ large. Yeah, if, if, if I have a life motto, it's uh, sign me up. I'll yeah. regret it later. <laughs> No, um, so, At least yeah. you know yourself. <laughs> I do. I regrettably do. Um, I've been in student government since my bachelor's. I was actually... Um, I signed up as an executive member for the Linguistics Student Association. Um, something low level and very low commitment because that's who I was. Uh, but then kind of found myself in the co-presidency of that one as well. Um, and I really enjoyed it. It really felt like... Um, first it it kind of felt like a lot of work and it was because it was a lot of undergraduates you know students it's a little different from a graduate student association but it really felt like um people appreciated what you were doing because it was something that wasn't there for them from the administration or from the university at large it felt like they were lacking support and they needed some kind of outlet for frustrations or stress or whatever and so that's kind of what our student association helped them with. We gave them social events, but we also gave them, you know, tutoring and um, advice on what courses to take and things like that. And so, yeah, going into graduate school, I just decided to do the same thing. Basically, it was, I wasn't sure if I was going to do it, knowing how hard it was before. But you know, I ended up joining as a, again, a kind of low-level commitment position uh, in Lasa realizing that I really liked it and I think I could manage it and so I signed up for (laughs) being co-president.
1: Okay, so I'm going to push you back on that because I actually think you signed (laughs) up for a really important position. You originally um, signed up to be our representative to the Graduate Student Society Mm -hmm. and on top of that you helped with a big overhaul of how our clubs are structured. Um, yeah. So you took on a lot of responsibility. <laughs> it was yeah. <laughs> and it was really awesome. Like I remember my first impression. I was like, "Dang,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Dang she's on really fire!"
0: Because <laughs> I like really wanted to listen to what we had to say though, because yeah. I kind of always got the impression that representatives, you know, were just there. I didn't really know what it actually meant. But she really, <laughs> like, you really wanted to know what our concerns were, and like actually pass them on. I
2: feel like you're trying to make me cry and I refuse to cry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you would be the first person to cry on our oh, two episode long podcast. Honor honor. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, I, I that's
2: one thing. It's like, you know, you could, you could be a representative and do nothing, but that's just really not my style because I'm nosy and I like to hear what people think and I want to actually do something about it. So yeah, it's true. Yeah, so I was the graduate studies, no, graduate student society representative and I still am actually because I can't let it go. And I did I was clubs liaison, so I worked with the clubs and like you said, restructuring things. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was it was kind of the GSS was kind of a a way to do LASA on a larger scale. So it was in the similar way going to meetings and of council and like making decisions and, you know, contributing to policy changes and budget decisions and whatever. But it was on a larger scale, and that affected all of graduate studies and all graduate students at UBC, which it really felt like I had something to contribute that wasn't there as well, because the way that it happens is that, you know, the people with the most free time are the ones that end up on those councils, and, you know, in executive positions, they just have nothing else to do, really, or they happen to be in town, um, which is fine, but, you know, then that you end up with a big skew, like, a majority of The representatives at council tend to be from sciences because they're already on campus doing labs Mm -hmm. uh they have research experiments to do and so they just happen to be around but that means that you don't get a lot of input from people in arts or in the more softer sciences or uh, humanities so it it kind of felt like there was a lot of uh, redundancy or maybe like a misunderstanding of how procedures can go smoother So I walked in with my MLIS and I was like, hi, I'd like to organize your
1: information. (laughs) (laughs) I also get the impression that in those bigger student associations, they often are dominated by people from like engineering or science faculty, like these really big Mm -hmm. faculties and not that arts isn't a big faculty, but you know, a program like the MLIS is small but mighty, yes. <laughs> we might say. Um, and so it's pretty cool to to have you like go out and represent us there because I, we often struggle to fill those kinds of positions mm. and get people who want to do that work.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that it, the iSchool is actually one of the largest graduate schools on campus, but we're the smallest in representation a lot of the they don't think about it, but It really, really feels important for me to represent a a large chunk of the graduate students that are in the iSchool, because we have a lot of expertise and important things to say, and we are very good at doing a lot of different things. And so I think that, you know, trying to bring their opinions and their interests to the forefront is huge. It's important, and I'm happy to do the work.
0: I feel like a recurring theme that I'm kind of noticing is just, like, librarianship or I guess like archival studies this information field being like the intersection of just a lot of different stuff and being in these roles and serving people just being able to like bring all these different things together and organizing it so that people find it available
2: and easy to find Mm -hmm. yeah it's trying to find the information is often half the battle yeah (laughs)
0: Yeah, and when you were talking, like, it reminded me a lot about our community libraries class and just, like, being able to know who you're representing and then mm-hmm. voicing that out. And it's just something that I feel like we'll probably keep doing for a long time. So I think you're going to be great
2: <laughs> after you get that degree. Oh, thank you. That, But, yeah, that community-led libraries class was hugely formative for me. Like, it was it, a great class. It was amazing, and it really felt like it embodied the core of what librarianship is to me. Like if you're not listening yeah. to what people are trying to say and trying to like fill their needs, then what are you doing What's really? The point? Yeah. yeah. And I'm glad to see that it's being held again this year. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, oh that's, that's great. news.
1: I had heard it wasn't. Yes.
2: I didn't see it. A oh, breaking news from the ice school. <laughs> do,
1: do, 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 <laughs> <wee>.
2: <laughs> do you know who's teaching it? Oh, it's Jorge. Oh, right. of, course of course it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. We're all happy to see him back.
1: Mm-hmm. All by himself. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Hot gossip about the iSchool. Hot gossip. <laughs> there should right, be a recurring a segment that oh Victoria should know. <laughs> Dish. I'll be ended as
2: correspondent. Yeah. Just recording sound bites. Great. Outside the office. Recording live from the iSchool. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to whisper because everyone's working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, trends, I mean, what's happening at the iSchool? So So we're uh, a Canadian iSchool. Yes, in Western Canada.
0: Yeah, yes. and the next nearest one is, I guess, University U-Dub? of Washington. Yeah, yeah.
2: And which is
1: just down in Seattle. So pretty close by. Yeah, across an international border. Yeah, you know, <laughs>
2: which is kind of weird, right? Like they're so far away and that's so close. Mm-hmm. The and only the next other one, one, I
0: guess, you have Alberta. Yeah, it's probably the next I one. I think so. But yeah, so we're the only one here. So there's, I guess, less fewer opportunities for collaboration with other iSchools but yeah I guess that's some context for where we're coming from Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
2: yeah it it, it kind of does feel a lot like things are happening in isolation uh when things happen at the iSchool and like we're kind of making things up as we go I don't know how true that is on the administration side but sometimes it feels like that um but yeah we also work within the greater context of UBC right so we're kind of subject to you know the system we're working in um there's definitely been a lot of uh issues on students' minds lately from what I can tell. Uh I usually get my information, my intel, one might say, from uh there's a Facebook social page. There's obviously, you know, my classmates who I talk to.
1: A very active Facebook a social very page. Very active social page.
2: <laughs> yes. Uh no holes barred on that social page. <laughs> Um, but yeah so the some of the issues circulating have been um, as always issues with registration which is kind of more a UBC problem in that the system that we use to register for classes can be very chaotic like I say there's a lot of us in the I school and so having that many people try and register at the same time for a very limited number of classes you're bound to come up against some problems and so those continue to happen whose fault it is is up for some debate Um, but it happens Uh, you know I'm trying to work with admin to try and figure out some solutions on that long-term because it's not it's not great for anyone it's not great for the students who are stressed about it nor is it for the administration's who has to you know receive a million emails Mm -hmm. uh, from angry students so you know working on that and then uh, as I was mentioning to you earlier there was uh, last-minute cancellations of classes which is again not anyone's fault really apparently there were some unforeseen circumstances but this can happen and you know it happens occasionally so you know the selection of courses continues to be an issue for students like what's available when when is it available especially when our program is so condensed uh, I mean, as you know, it's like a very stressful two years when you're trying to f- get the best courses for you, but also just trying to graduate on time mm-hmm. because you don't want to pay more tuition and you don't want to be in this program anymore if you have career to figure out. Um, so that's happening. And, you know, it's it's just um, it's the this, this struggle of having so many students and so few connections to the administration and to UBC in general. Like even though we're such a large school, i school very much feels isolated. Even in UBC, like I don't know very many people in i school who are doing things outside of i school. Like then, like besides me, I think you know us and Lasa we're kind of the exception that we're talking to other departments at UBC or talking to GSS or AMS. I think most people in the i school aren't doing that. They're not really part of other clubs on campus, for example. Yeah. There's just no time, really. But mm-hmm. uh, it it means that things kind of. Uh, happen, and no one's really sure what's going on, especially when UBC makes changes, and uh, they discontinued something recently, enrolling graduation, which in, in reality doesn't actually affect students, but it's a big scary thing to read in an email from an anonymous person, so, you know, that caused some panic uh, until we had that straightened out, but...
1: Can I bounce back to something you were talking about? Please? About the course offerings, because... Um, Something that I noticed in Slice is, you know, they have this constantly changing. Let's offer it this year and next year And uh, we had Mm -hmm. to make a last-minute change for XYZ reason. We couldn't find someone to teach it or whatever Um, And as you said, it really affects like if somebody's really passionate about a certain area of librarianship and the courses in that area Aren't offered because they don't have somebody who can teach them um, for the you know year and a half or two years that you're in the program it can be pretty sad mm-hmm. <laughs> and um yeah i'm curious if you either of you like you know we're, we're all very much in it still i think that thinking about what courses lace does and doesn't offer have thoughts about the the breadth of the curriculum like do you feel like it's teaching the kinds of things that students are most interested in do you feel like there are some gaps or things that are over or underrepresented in the in the course offerings
0: Well, maybe something else, not directly answering your question, but I was also thinking about research clusters, and because when I was looking at other schools, I noticed they'll somehow sometimes have like this research cluster for this thing, or like this center Mm -hmm. for the study of blah blah blah. And I noticed um, I think we have something new called designing for people, and I was looking at their website, and it does seem like they're bringing in a bunch of people from different backgrounds to study, I guess like how you use technology to design for people. And so like what you were saying about how I, like the i school so isolated it was making me think maybe we just don't quite have that at UBC or like I'm not part of any research clusters or anything like that so I don't know if we just don't have that available and we just kind of stick to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I think I think those are actually more related than you think. So, uh I do know someone who was in designing for people or I'm, I'm not sure if that's the full acronym whatever, but they, you know, they mentioned that it's it can be hard because their schedule is so packed with iSchool stuff, yeah. you know? Like I say, trying to graduate, trying to get the right courses, We the take right a time. lot of courses, I yeah. think, compared
0: to maybe other graduate programs.
2: I think we take a lot more academic courses than others because we're a professional program. Like I think others will maybe take a couple and then also do research or lab, field work, whatever. Mm-hmm. We don't really have that, right? We just take courses and so they were saying that you know it's it's hard to join something like designing for people when you're so busy with other courses and also when that uh, that project isn't really designed with you in mind right mm-hmm. like it from what I hear it's it's kind of lacking in the admin support kind of framework part of it it's um, kind of unstructured and not super supported generally by like a core faculty member for example so you know, being an iSchool student, when you want to have everything, you know, sorted out and efficient and really structured like that, it can mean a lot of work for you. So it can kind of feel like there's not really um, any benefit to you joining those things if you're doing all the legwork and not really learning anything. Mm-hmm. So it kind of perpetuates this idea that you just need to stay in the iSchool, right, and just focus on other courses. But like you say, it's um, it can be hard to uh, find Courses that really suit your interests or what you're looking for um, at the right time that you need them. It definitely feels like, you know, for example, when I first started, public libraries wasn't even offered or it hadn't (laughs) been offered for several years. And that, for me, a person who wants to work in a public library, that's a problem, right? Because if I'm in this program, that's kind of the whole point of me being here and paying money and tuition, right? So you want that course to be offered, but those courses, those, you know, public libraries, community led libraries, special libraries, they all tend to be very based on um, working librarians, guest lecturers, um, you know, adjunct faculty sessionals. It's, so it means a lot of coordination and it means a lot of trying to figure out people's schedules. But, you know, besides just the students, right, it, it means the actual guest lecturers themselves and when are they available because all if they're all working, they're usually not available during the day, all these things. Luckily, public libraries did get offered, but it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's very tenuous whether or not that course will be offered again. It creates this environment where a lot of the students are always jumping on courses because they don't know if it'll be offered again. So they end up taking up spots and, you know, that maybe someone else wants or signing up for courses that they're not sure about, but I'll sign up anyways just in case because who knows, it might not be offered for another five years. There's no way of knowing, right? So it's sometimes... It feels like, oh, I have so many courses to choose from, and sometimes it feels like there's nothing going on, and I just have to pick something because I need the credits. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily an ideal environment, but it's the one we're in. And, you know, maybe part of that, too, is that we're, like Karen said, we're all alone kind of on the coast here, and we don't really have too many people to choose from. Well, at least when it comes to faculty members. Like, if a faculty member goes missing, then it's hard to fill that slot, except from somewhere far away,
0: yeah.
2: um, which can be a burden. Uh, it, can be, it can be stressful for sure. And I think it continues to be stressful. But, you know, there's always the hope that things will get better. I don't know. We could also
0: cancel the, the WISE courses. <laughs> Yeah. That WISE program where you could take online courses offered from other universities. That's right. Yeah, which seemed kind of odd. Like, maybe they have a perfectly good reason, but they were like, this was a really popular program, but we're not going to have it anymore.
2: Mm -hmm. I think there was a lack of participants. Oh. But that's, it it kind of followed, well, okay, I'm I'm not going to take the WISE course if I have no time for it. Or if it's at a weird time or it's not exactly the right course I want, then... No one's going to take it. <laughs> so. But it's the offering of it that matters, right? It's You want the options. So there's there's the balance, I think, that they're trying to strike, which is trying to offer as much as possible, but also not trying to overburden themselves or trying to offer too many courses. But, uh, yeah, it makes it stressful for sure. Now I'm just sad.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, on the topic of online courses, something that um, – I learned when at the iSchool was because our program has such a high number of uh, international students mm-hmm. also like as a pedagogical choice at UBC they've chosen not to offer very many online courses because a lot of students need to be doing in-person courses for visa requirements and funding requirements and things like that um, but as you say like it kind of limits those options again right it's another mm-hmm. thing where if if you're um, away for a co-op for a summer or you know you need something that fits with your work schedule an online course could be a really nice option but if they're not going to offer them and WISE isn't going to give the option um, that's another little limiting. It means
2: Mm -hmm. you have to get a bit more creative about how you do it right whether it's co-op or directed studies or a thesis or professional experience there's a lot of different options but it means a lot of um, coordinating on the behalf of students. Mm -hmm. Have either of you taken any like um, external courses for credit? I haven't. And I'm not sure that I will.
1: I'm trying to remember what courses I dug. <laughs> <It's laughs>
2: and a there's a degrees.
0: large void <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> We're about up to nine credits, so like three... That's three yeah, classes. Yes, yes. Yeah, three classes. I'm registered in two English classes. Ooh, wow. cool. Yeah, so... I don't know how, that to me, like it doesn't, because f- I did an English major in undergrad, so it doesn't feel like I'm, you know, venturing too far out. It kind of just feels like I'm returning back to mm-hmm. what I'm used to. Because mm-hmm. I, I think ideally, like if I wanted to expand um, the scope of, or like the breadth of, you know, whatever skills I want to have, like I, I maybe would I want to reach outside of English, but I did find like two courses that were
2: relevant and. Um, I guess they are because they let me take them. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's hard for uh, students to find an external course that really meshes with their own interests. And, and it's fits also... Their schedule. <laughs> and fits their schedule. It's exactly right. Yeah, like, I mean, it, it's also, it's a concerning thing when you have a limited number of credits, right, before you graduate. So you really have to, like, be careful about what you spend it on. Like, you could, I could make an argument that I could take a linguistics course and uh, right now and have it be part of my my interests or whatever but it wouldn't really like it would be very tangential and it would uh, not feel like it's furthering my career probably and then that's three credits that I've I've just lost right well not lost but you know three credits of something else that I could have taken so you you have to really like work hard to find something that works so I'm really happy to hear that you found some because I, I don't know very many people that did
1: I think a lot of people do it in the First Nations curriculum concentration. Like I know um, the advisors for that program are like really encouraging about taking classes in other departments, Um, and I've heard great things from people who've chosen to go that route, taking classes in the First Nations Endangered Languages Program or the First Nations Indigenous Studies Program. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
0: People take classes in
1: anthropology and I think museum studies as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah,
2: that would make sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That sounds fun. I should do that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Well, I was – because a lot of us that come to the iSchool come from, like, a humanities or social science background. And I really think that librarianship is much broader and diverse than that. I think someone Mm – one of the professors, instructors was saying, like, we really need more people from, like, computer science and engineering. But, like, how do you really convince them that, you know, this is the field – for you and my sister is in her second year of university now and she's in the faculty of science and she's really interested in geographical sciences and Mm -hmm. GIS which I think stands for geographic information systems I think so Um, ding yeah (laughs) (laughs) pretty sure (laughs) yeah she's been talking about the things that she's interested in I'm like you should maybe consider librarianship in the future because it seems very relevant but now when I think about the way that you know um, Slace is structured I wonder like if she would find relevant coursework like I think Mm -hmm. you know the field would be open to her but just in terms of training like would that really fit like it should yeah
2: yeah I think you'd, you'd really have to finagle it and then like you say really make use of those external credits because probably if you are planning to go into something a little more technical then you need some technical training and accreditation things and I don't know how science works, but it sounds like <laughs> that's what you would need, which you may you might not be getting right if you're just doing library or archives courses. You probably get something adjacent, but maybe not something directly relevant to to what you're trying to do in your career. So, yeah, mm-hmm. things to think about. There's a lot of that's the thing with uh, this kind of program where you're giving so many options, it's almost overwhelming. Yeah, there's so many, too many options is like not the best. <laughs> yeah, you get really like, okay, I'm just gonna keep on this one track because I'm terrified to try anything else. But yeah, I think it's it's important to try and branch out when you can, um, which is yeah. So I've been I've been also taking like a couple courses that are maybe not directly in my interest of public libraries and community services and things like that. But they've been fantastic. Di- database design, I can.
0: Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, databases. I know yeah. something about them. Apparently, <laughs> I took the course. Well.
1: <laughs> Bom- if it's reassuring or not i don't know about applying for jobs in public libraries which is something i've just done a lot of recently let's say <laughs> mm-hmm. i found that really very infrequently did what actual did my actual coursework come up in right. in those interviews or in the application process or even in the training process a little bit like people are kind of interested in a get to know you kind of way of like oh what classes did you take and what are you interested in um, but substantially, it felt way more to me like people were curious about, like, work experience and co-op and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I think trying out lots of different kinds of courses has, has a benefit of, mm-hmm. you know, giving you a sense of those things. And I, d- I don't think that there's likely to be, I don't know, in your problems, options yeah. or something because of it. Yeah,
2: That's good to hear <laughs> Yeah, from the
1: other side. <laughs> from the other side. Yeah. Um, but I think it's also kind of a... I don't know a cautionary tale or something i think they warn us about this at the mm-hmm. iSchool, school but that getting um some kind of experience work experience while at school is really valuable mm-hmm. because that's something else i thought about as i went through the interviews i thought well i guess i was both blessed and cursed with working all the time <laughs> while in school mm-hmm. but um if i hadn't done that i don't know if i would have been able to you know answer the kinds of questions they were putting to me and yeah demonstrating they actually knew what I was doing beyond this theoretical like yeah in class we talked about you know how to do a reference interview but I've never actually done one
2: (laughs) that's the problem but then you know you feel penalized for working at the same time as studying right because you're Mm -hmm. like well I need to get these credits done these assignments done I shouldn't be you know working two part-times or whatever Mm -hmm. working at the library and also at this other place but like you say that seems to be the more relevant thing when you actually get out there so Mm -hmm yeah I'm wondering if you know there needs to be more room made for students to be able to do that and you know in the form of co-op is great but um you know maybe more leniency with Mm -hmm. uh, how you finish your your program I mean professional experience has been useful but that's also a hit or hit or miss thing you know if you get a good placement then great if not then you're kind of oh well there's three credits Mm
1: -hmm.
2: yeah Yeah, I guess I'll have to
1: work more you work quite a lot. Yeah. I think you have a lot of experience, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> Not enough, never enough. <laughs> well, that's I think also an interesting thing about um, this grad program is I, is I hear a lot of people saying stuff like that. Like it's a you know a group of really driven people who mm-hmm. feel like they could always be doing more. I'm curious, like, to circle back to some of the student government things, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of with my experience of LASA, like, a lot of what we do as a student government is organizing social events and things for people to relax and get to know each other and and build some community, especially for folks who, um, unlike (laughs) actually all three of us, like, haven't lived in Vancouver or don't really, you know, know Mm -hmm. anybody or have a social network here. do you want to talk a bit about that about like what that looks like and the you know the value of it or some of the challenges in trying to engage students in that kind of activity
2: yes challenges well first of all I think yeah people really don't realize how much student government is a lot like um this career that we're all going into it's you know no matter whether you're going into library or archives or mackle or children's literature or whatever it's um, student government is, is absolutely what you make of it. it. It can be a lot of different things. Like I said, there's a lot of people in sciences that are really into it because it's about policy and data analysis and um, improving processes, which is, you know, part of what they do, but uh, it can absolutely be huge for library uh, and, and archival people because, like you say, it's organizing events, it's um, making sure that you're addressing people's needs, it's advocating for people which is, I think, the core of what librarianship really is, right? Like, that's what I can speak to, but it's absolutely, and, you know, like I alluded to before with community-led librarianship, that course that we took, it's absolutely trying to get a feel for, okay, am I just making decisions based on my own personal interests or whoever I'm beholden to, or am I really taking in what people are saying and trying to figure out what people actually need and asking them what they want me to do? And student government is absolutely a lot about that because you're you're not really beholden to anyone necessarily right like because we're not paid so we're not getting money we're not part of ubc we're not we're a totally separate entity um as the gss and as lassa too so what that means is that you really can kind of do whatever you want you can you know within boundaries legal boundaries <laughs> but <laughs> but you know if if students are saying hey um we really hate social events. I never want to do a social event again, and I only want you to fight for my rights in council. i would I would be happy to do that. You know, like that's something that I can do. Or if they say, "I really don't care uh, what about what's going on EBC. So if you could just please host more tea parties, that would be great. I'd be happy to do that too, right? and i'm I'm capable of doing both of those things. And that's really what student government is there for. and, especially because, and a lot of people don't realize this, but LASA and other student associations are not part of the administration for the school. So even though we work with them to do things, they, um, they aren't in charge of us, they don't fund us, we really have no connection from them, and legally we're a separate entity. So that means that you know, if there's a problem in administration as well, then we can represent student interests, we can speak on behalf of them, or... We can, um, you know, act as a liaison between the two if there needs to be one and just generally pass information in a way that isn't um, necessarily, quote unquote, sponsored by the administration. We can, you know, really tell it how it is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, there, there's consequences to that, too, because obviously we are still students, right, of this university and of this school. So. You know we can't get too crazy <laughs> because I do still want to graduate, <laughs> but uh, there's there's a lot of um, freedom there and there's a lot of power as well um, that you know I'm trying to leverage for the better good <laughs> as much as I can, and it's and it's something that you really can't do if you're being paid right. If you if you are mm-hmm. in a paid position with the administration as a peer advisor, for example, um, you know you have certain duties to the school and. Um, to your own financial well-being, to do certain things, right versus others. Whereas, if you're doing something voluntarily, or you know, for very minimal gain, as most student government positions are, some of them are paid, but it's really not. It's nothing to live off of. Um, then you're able to to be more flexible. What I've really felt that is that it's the student government's job to really say that, communicate that to the students. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to do this year as well. Is really say like. We can do whatever you want, and if that's you know showcasing your own work, if that's um, doing social events, if that's you know advocating for your, your opinions on curriculum reviews or whatever, like that's what we're here for, and that's what we're going to do. So, really empowering students as much as possible. Which I mean, if that's not what librarianship is, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you were talking about
0: just what you're doing, student government, it honestly sounds like what librarians whether you're public or
2: academic or whatever should be doing mm-hmm. it's 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 hard work and it's not easy and it's a you know you can lose sight of it for sure mm-hmm. but I think that's at the core of it and I think that's yeah like that's at the core of librarianship right you know sure you're getting paid but you're really just trying to empower people
0: to talk about the showcase thing
2: yeah Yeah? okay two very smart students who are (laughs) in this room (laughs) uh karen and i we were were very smart we
0: neglected to to realize we went to the
2: last research day (laughs) so didn't realize we went to a similar event a couple years ago
0: (laughs) yeah so we uh realized that in 2019 this year this spring, um, there wasn't a research day, and what research day at the iSchool has been before is an event that showcases research that uh, students, PhD, and faculty have done. So there's like I think a poster session, and mm-hmm. people just kind of talk about their stuff um, as well. And um, yeah, Victoria and I know like we were just very nosy, and we wanted to know what people were doing. We're like, wow, there's no like research day that you know other uh, faculties and departments across UBC have and we're like we should organize one and then we remembered we went
2: to one in 2018 (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I volunteered at it so I really should have remembered
0: (laughs) Uh, but someone told me that they're not doing it anymore Um, Alex said that they canceled it but I I don't know if that's like (gasps) hearsay or what yeah my
1: impression from the department was that they often got kind of down on the events they organized like research day or the awards gala or something like feeling like students weren't um, as interested or engaged or participating as they would have liked mm-hmm. um, which I think is a challenging thing because as a student like you want those things you can't always make it maybe have competing con you know um, commitments or uh, whatever else going on or maybe like the events just aren't as appealing as they could be because of mm-hmm. the way they're organized or what they're offering mm-hmm. so I feel like couple of little firecrackers getting in there and offering some ideas might be helpful for them. <laughs>
2: I mean, you you touch on it a little bit, which is like, you know, it's nice to have it there, but sometimes you can't make it, right? That's not your fault. You have work or you have a class or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think another part of it and the more important part for me is that it, no one asked the students what they want, right? This this was a, the administration of faculty probably making a decision between them saying let's do this research day, which is fine. I think there's, like, part of the event is really useful, especially as a way for, like, people who are doing research maybe for the first time or who haven't been to a conference to really get a feel for what a poster session or, like, a research talk is like. And that's hugely valuable. But not all students are interested in that. That's, like, myself and, you know, a lot of people at school are actually not very interested in research at all. Or we're Um, not, at least...
0: Sometimes I find that we don't know what we want to research mm-hmm. in particular because, you know, there's no undergrad for library studies here, and so a lot of us uh, come into this program just learning about it, you know, right from the start. So it's hard to when you just step into something new, it's hard to know exactly what you want to study, you know, in depth. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe some of the challenges that we don't, at least I don't feel like I have anything uh, substantial to present at such a, you know, official-looking academic conference. Right, and,
2: and even though the iSchool one isn't a professional conference, it still feels that way, right? You're still in a room with a bunch of posters, and your, you know, instructors, your faculty members are there talking to you, and it's very intimidating no matter what, right? So, uh, and, yeah, it's it's if you don't have a particular research topic, if you don't have experience with it, then that event really isn't anything for you. It's not really... For you so it's kind of it comes to me as no surprise that that event didn't get a lot of attendees maybe maybe it's less obvious to the f- administration or whatever but
1: I think it's a thing about momentum over time too because the year before I think it was called experiential learning day mm. do you remember that did I you do. go to that before that's we that's started what, Karen yeah I went to that one but or I think it's, it's a separate event, a separate event from oh, Research okay
0: that was held in the alumni center in 2018
1: yeah, because the year before, they had one that was that they held over at the Graduate <laughs> Studies Building. Right. And um, But it was similar in that there were posters where students were talking about research or experiential placements they had because, as you say, not everybody's into the research angle of, mm-hmm. of this program. Um, and I went to that as an incoming student, and I found it extremely useful and interesting. I really liked it. Um, yeah. And I think that they did a really good job of, you know, giving current students a uh, chance to talk about what they were doing and giving new students a chance to be like, oh, this is what this place is like, and I can ask somebody some questions. And mm. it was actually at that where I saw a professional panel where I first heard Jorge speak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that I was, was like, really I want to awesome do what yeah. that guy does. <laughs> wow, <that's laughs> it cool. sounds really interesting. Um, so for me, it was like, it really shaped my whole experience of the school. Um, but I think carrying, whether or not they're the same event, but I think, um, what what's on my mind is carrying the momentum forward where they may have had feedback from students like three or four years ago that that was a thing people wanted but trying to maintain that and get new feedback from all the new students it's a similar problem we encounter with LASA is like Mm -hmm. how do you both take in what you're hearing from people and build on it and sometimes it takes you six months or a year to implement something but by that time there's a whole new group of students there who didn't ask for that and are getting what the last group asked for right. no, that's, that's <laughs> which a is a problem. which is a hard thing when you have a quick academic cycle you know turnover and who's around and what they're into and yeah absolutely. and all of that yeah
2: especially when you know the the students that are here we all have such diverse interests like there's mm-hmm. no way that you're gonna offer enough uh, events or content to please everyone right um, or enough have enough people attend that you consider it a success um, so And I think, yeah, I think really what the important thing is, is like you say, it's momentum over time. It's, you know, hosting something enough times that you get a better feel for it. Like hosting it once or twice and then giving up on it isn't probably going to help yourself with organizing the event. But it's also about offering a breadth of things. I think trying to put all your eggs in one basket is, you know, kind of futile. Because like I said, everyone has diverse interests. So you're really not going to, it's not going to be a home run every single time for this one event. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why we're we're kind of playing with this idea of having a showcase that really is driven by the students. So having it be a quote-unquote event, but not really planning anything for it necessarily in terms of content. So just having hosting a space where students can come and really talk about what's important to them at that moment and showcasing what they feel like what they want to showcase, whether that's research or not. Like it could just be like, hi, I work at VPL uh, as an auxiliary, you know, Uh, employee and this is my experience like I would be hugely interested in that you know even if that person isn't you know doesn't have a poster or whatever a talk prepared that's still something I'm interested in Um, and just really getting a feel for what other students are doing generally what they're interested in what they want to talk about what they're complaining about you know that's I think giving them a space is really the the idea behind this Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that I think is maybe more um, sustainable long term because it is so unstructured
0: it's student organized and student Mm -hmm. focused then yeah and I think it might give people yeah just uh, like a comfortable space to be able to say what they want to like to share what they want to share
2: yeah which is hard to do when it's an event that's hosted by the administration right you you don't really feel free to speak um, your opinion or you know because especially if it's negative (laughs) (laughs) Um, It doesn't feel like a safe space for you, right? But if it's student organized, then, you know, you can kind of feel free to do whatever. And if we make it a space where it's clear that, um, you know, faculty or administration is maybe not going to be at the forefront, they're not going to be hosting it and they're not going to be participating actively necessarily, then it kind of makes students feel a little more comfortable. Um, and so we're, we're still d- in the works. Uh, yeah. We haven't really you know, started. We were talking about this like it yeah. exists already, which it doesn't. But, you know, if you have feedback, dear listeners, <laughs> um, please do uh, tell us, tell me as president of LASA, because this is something that we're interested in, seeing what people feel like is missing from from uh, the iSchool.
1: Maybe we could like end with a couple of questions about some of like your plans for the upcoming year like with that little call out to students it made me wonder like if we were to release this in let's say a few weeks when we get our stuff ready um and people were listening to this as they were in the process of going back to school Mm -hmm. do you have anything you want people to be thinking about or um getting involved in or i imagine lassa probably hasn't convened for a while because it's summer and people are all scattered doing cool things but yeah, if you put yourself in the back-to-school frame of mind, what would <laughs> no, you say? Do to me.
2: Um, yeah, I would say that uh, this year is going to be an interesting one. Like I say, there's a lot of uh, things in flux course-wise, faculty-wise. There seems to be uh, incoming faculty, faculty who are you know leaving for various reasons. There's courses being offered, <laughs> not being offered suddenly. Um, but there's also uh, a, the possibility of a curriculum review for the MLIS program, which means that, you know, there's a chance for students to have a say there. And, you know, LASA is here to represent those students as well if, if people don't feel comfortable bringing that up necessarily, especially if you're an incoming student. Maybe you're, you don't feel comfortable yet voicing your opinion. But, um, you know, a- a- every opinion's important, no matter how small, even if it's just, I don't care what's happening. That's, we want to hear that too. Um, so definitely keep your eye out for that. Um, and I would say that uh, what's what's coming up for Lhasa, like you say, we haven't really been super active during the summer as, you know, as is normal for this kind of association. But we are really, really trying to focus this year, I think, or at least I'm going to try to uh, focus on projects the students are asking for or that feel more helpful to students, that fill gaps. So... Um, Social events are great. I think we'll still continue those, you know, as people need them because everyone needs a de-stress time. But, um, you know, trying to, you know, explore projects like um, orientation materials for incoming students or kind of a resource uh, handbook sort of thing if you're new to town and you don't really know how things work or you want to try and find something. Like I know a lot of international students are like, I don't even know how to buy soap. Like, (laughs) how can I get concerned about all these other things and I don't even know which soap brand is the right (laughs) brand to use? And that's that's huge. Right. Like, you know, it's the pyramid of needs or whatever it's called. So addressing those um, and and really, you know, like like with the showcase, trying to hear what students actually need and what they're what they're interested in. If folks have ideas for projects for resources for events if you know they're upset about something we want to hear about it and we're actually going to do something about it or at least to the best of our ability it's going to be interesting I really want to make this year uh, productive if nothing else Um, really trying not to let uh, student engagement go down in the tank but um, you know because that's always a struggle but um, trying to engage students in a way that they feel comfortable with
1: Sounds great. Yeah, thank you. Thank Excited you. to see how it all turns out. Uh, any any other last words? We're out of here. Thanks, Victoria. Yeah, thank you. I Really
2: appreciate it. It Call was me really back a pleasure talking to you. I'll be your yeah. news correspondent. <laughs> I'm happy to.
0: Okay. Feels like libraries was like a simulation for, like being in a real library. Maybe that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> and I just realized now. <laughs>
2: oh no, that was the whole point all along.